I'm Katie Bennett-Stanton, a senior B2B marketing professional with a real interest in digital transformation, change management and amazing content. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my husband and two mostly delightful children. Having worked in marketing roles in the UK, US and Australia, I've met many inspiring people and benefited enormously from the power of network and community. In this Katie Talks podcast series, I uncover the stories of influencers, sharing their thought-provoking business and leadership insights. I'm really thrilled today to be speaking with Michelle Redfern, someone whose LinkedIn bio says that she likes to get shit done for equality and inclusion. Michelle is also an AFR, 100 Women of Influence, a Melbourne B3000 Female Entrepreneur of the Year, Workplace Gender Equality and Cultural Diversity Consultant, Researcher into Women in Sport, Women's Leadership Expert and Non-Executive Director. Pretty lengthy title there. Michelle, welcome. Thanks, Katie. Lovely to be with you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I, uh, I'd followed Michelle on LinkedIn for quite a while and really enjoyed some of the insights that she shared and spotted her one day in the Melbourne Qantas Club way back when flights were a normal thing um, and was trying to work up the gumption to go and talk to her, but she was deep, deep in concentration looking at laptops. So I sent her a message on LinkedIn afterwards and uh, and and we connected. So Michelle, I'm really excited. We're finally getting to have this conversation, albeit uh, virtually. Yeah, and um, isn't it funny to think about being in the Qantas Club these days? It's uh, after not travelling for, for six months, which is, I have not not travelled for six months since I don't know when. Um, it's almost like another world, isn't it? But yes, oh. it is very, very nice to connect. Oh, it is. It, it it does feel, I similarly can't remember the last time I didn't travel for six months. It's uh, it's it's quite a strange world we're living in at the moment. Uh, it is. It oh, is. Well, and Michelle, we are in week five of Victoria or Melbourne's Second lockdown, how are you doing? What what does the world look like for you at the moment? Well, the world, it, it is a, um, an interesting question that quite a number of people have asked me. Um, and I think it's really nice that people are checking in to say, how are you doing? And, um, you know, how are people coping? And, of course, we're all doing different things and managing and coping or not uh, in, in different ways for a whole range of reasons. I, I suppose there are a couple of things for me. I... Because I, I work for myself and I work globally, some of this environment is not unfamiliar to me. So I, I have clients all around the world and uh, often am using technology rather than getting on a plane because that's not cost effective and, or practical in a lot of um, circumstances. So for, for in past, this is quite normal for me. Um, so very, very good. Um, the other part is that I'm... Look, I'm, I think with with age comes wisdom. Allegedly, I think I'm a bit uh, a bit more resilient than perhaps I give myself credit for. And the other thing that, that where where I'm good is that I've also learned that I'm I think I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. And now I am actually a raging extrovert for anyone who knows me. But I think I've got some more introversion streaks than perhaps um, I had uh, thought I had, or perhaps I've got become more comfortable in my own skin and with my own company over the years so I know it's a very long answer to a short question but I'm doing really well. Oh I'm glad to hear that and I 
some of that really resonates with me. I mean, I'm, I am also a raging extrovert, but I feel like as I get older, time on my own quietly to reflect and just be quieter and re-energise seems to be becoming more important to me, I think. Yeah, and you've certainly got, um, you know, I'm, I'm past your stage of life in that, that my I have two adult children who flew the nest quite some time ago. <laughs> so my wife and I are, are um, delightfully happy empty nesters. So we do, we march to the beat of our own drum pretty well. But <laughs> certainly, you know, with when, when you've got people to care for, whether they're little ones, furry ones or older ones, um, and of course, we know that 75% of the uh, cooking, cleaning, and caring in the world is still done by women. Yeah. Um, I think that time on our own becomes increasingly important. And you know, the other thing too, Katie, is that um, you know that life is very full for a lot of people. And uh, I, I certainly encourage women and men that I work with to stop, breathe, and reflect on. The, you know, from time to time on, on what they need to do more of or less of for themselves because it's the old adage going back to plain mm. stories, you know, you put your own oxygen mask on first um, and then you can help others around you. So particularly for women, who is, which is clearly an area of, well, it's my purpose to advance women and girls worldwide, I think there's there's a lot to be learned from saying, right, how do I make sure that I look after me because if I don't look after me, there's going to be quite a few people. Well, they'll probably come crashing down with me if I crash. So, yeah. Mm. yeah you're right. And I think, you know, one of the potential upsides to the world that we're living in at the moment is that for for knowledge workers, in, in some ways it's afforded a bit of an opportunity to perhaps stop and just sit back and reflect on how well the old world was serving us and you know potentially work in some different ways to to bring balance or to share responsibilities or just to approach life quite differently oh most certainly and i think one of our other conversations we were talking about i someone said to me ages ago at the at the start of this um, this global pandemic, or was probably in our first lockdown in Australia, and uh, she said to me, "I feel like Mother Nature sent us all to our rooms to have a bloody good think about what we've done <laughs> and not come out yeah. until we're going to do things better." And it is, you know, I was just reading yesterday that the greenhouse gas emissions from Australia and the lack of flying and, and yeah. transport are, are decreasing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's all of these things, you know, the world for, you know, Mother Nature is regenerating. So there's that part of it. But I, I wonder how many of us as humans are regenerating our approach to life and, and leadership and and all of those other things as well, taking this opportunity, um, notwithstanding that there's some people doing it really tough. But I, I think it would be an opportunity missed more broadly for society not to say how might we do things differently once we're... Yeah on the other side, whatever the other side of this means. Whatever that means. No, I, I think mm. you're right. And, I, I mean, I'm talking to lots of different people and hearing conversations about sitting back and and really rethinking, well, are all those flights necessary? Are all of those 
full day workshops in person necessary? Are there different ways to approach this? You know, given that a project team is is now certainly, well, most parts of the world working virtually, does that in fact give us a foray to bring in a true global expert who might be located on the other side of the planet, which, you know, wouldn't have been a reality six or eight months ago. But if we're all working remotely, you know, does that suddenly become way more available and appealing? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting because just last week, um, so, so the two bookends of, of the pandemic for me are just before we went into lockdown, literally, gee, I think it was probably two weeks before I, I got off a plane after being in Berlin and London for a fortnight doing what I do around um, gender equality. And then just last week, I was working with the same group uh, presenting to essentially um, a similar cohort mm. of people in, in a particular industry sector, of course, using remote technology sitting in my own home. And I thought, gee, isn't that interesting that I had to fly literally to the other side of the world in February, um, yet last week I was able to do something pretty similar from, you know, not going anywhere um, and the impact was there as well. So look, I, I, I would never ever pass up the chance of having a face-to-face -face conversation, albeit physically yes. distant at the moment. But, yes. you know, there are definitely different ways of looking at things. And I agree, you know, the all-day the all day meetings, the two-day strategy workshops, the getting on a plane, whatever it may be. Um, what's the old saying? Motherhood is the... Yeah, what is it? Necessity is another hood of invention. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think we're starting to see a much more efficient, much more inclusive and much more um, egalitarian intent around you know, boards. Ooh, egalitarian intent. Like that. that is, mm. I like, that's mm. a great quote. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I use it carefully because I think there's intent and sure. then there's action. Sure. So I think, you know, the I, I would, I'm ever the optimist, but that egalitarian intent is is very very important. And you know, my job, quite frankly, is to work with my clients to be that voice of um, you know polite but forthright dissent, yes. um, or challenge to say how might we do things differently? Sure. How might we be more egalitarian? What we are, what is our intent here? So yeah, I think um, yeah, there's a lot to ponder. I, I agree with you, Michelle. You do a lot of work at advising boards and CEOs, and I know from our earlier conversation that a common question that you ask is, would you build this organisation the same again? And you say that the answer is frequently really intriguing. I, I'd really love to for you to talk me through that, please. Yeah, and thanks, Katie. The the question, and, and I, I, I sort of ask that question in a range of different ways. One is, would you, you know, as you said, would you build this organisation the same way again, given the opportunity? Sometimes you get a an outright hell no, <laughs> and then I say, well, why not? Yeah. Um, and others were can be, mm, that's a good question. I had never thought about it like that. Or others are, wouldn't that be awesome? And what should we do about it? Because that, you know, we're the leaders. We can do that. Other, other ways of asking that question are, um, would you have the person who you care about most in the world working in this organisation? And if not, why not? 
um, and particularly for leaders, um, and, and you know, with a with a gendered lens on it, I often ask very senior men, very senior, powerful, influential men, think about the most vulnerable female in your life. How would you feel that um, if she came into your workplace unaccompanied? Would she be safe? Would she be respected? Would she be valued? Would she feel like she belongs? And if you can't say yes to all of those, there is your action plan right now. And what sort of, I mean, t tell me more about the sort of answers that you get, because that's, that's a really interesting question. Well, often, um, you know, I'm being very general now, because obviously I have the cool. conversations with lots of different people, but um, more often than not, the, 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 the answer is, wow, I'd never really thought about it like that. Um, because, and I'll say, why wouldn't you have thought that? like that and they say because we just we talk about the buzzwords of workplace culture you know and, and I say well what is culture what is the culture here mm. and they'll say well here are the values I go no 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 no. culture is the way we do stuff the way things are done around here is that it's the culture and if you ask a hundred different people in the organization describe the culture in three words you'll get a hundred different answers um, but essentially you'll settle on some themes about, you know, what's what's acceptable and what's not acceptable behaviour. Even those tiny little things that we say, oh, look, in and of itself, it'll be okay. No one will take offence to that. But, you know, we know all about, you know, micro disappointments and microaggressions, how they build up over time. So more often than not, the, the, the response is, I just haven't really thought about it, but now that you've said it, I don't know that I, want that vulnerable woman here and mm. now I need to now I can't unknow that and I need to do something about it um, it's really pleasing when a leader says I am absolutely confident that my mother my wife my daughter my granddaughter you know who, who are that vulnerable yeah. female is um, I, I'm very confident that she could be here and also flourish and thrive and that that is terrific but more often than not the answer is I had never actually thought about it from that perspective. And that's that's the empathy factor, which is so critical to the work that I do. Um, when when we have empathy for another person, um, we are trying to understand what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes. We can't have their lived experience, of course, but we can imagine and, and start to see things through from their perspective and then say, well, how might I make some changes so the pathway is a bit smoother for that person? So, yeah, it's it's all about empathy, but more often than not, it's a, hmm, it's a good question. I've never thought about it, Michelle. Hmm. But I mean, I've heard, I have heard some, a lot of, I mean, this is an area I'm really passionate about. I have read and talked to people and heard a lot of people discuss things like this, but that's that's the best way I have heard it articulated in in terms of really stopping senior people and, and having them think very deeply. Mm -hmm. And another way that one of my clients pointed out to me just recently, um, she and I were talking and she said, I, I want very senior, powerful, influential people to try and remember when they felt least powerful. Um, <laughs> when they, they were in a room and they were at least the least powerful person, had no influence, what did that feel like? Particularly if I've got, and, and this is not just about um, addressing poor behaviours, this is also yes. about unlocking potential. Yeah. So, 
and and to put that into context when you're the most when you're the least powerful least influential and if we want to put hierarchy on it perhaps the most yeah. junior person in the sure. room would you would you say i've got this really great idea it's a bit bonkers but can i talk about it yeah. and you know that person might be let's face it steve jobs was one of those people one day yeah, um, yeah. many yeah. many years ago um so imagine having a having someone in that in your organization and you will already have them um, who don't feel comfortable, safe, or included enough to say, I've got an idea about how we can do things better, faster, cheaper, our customers will delight in it, yada, yada, yes. yada. So, yeah. um, oh. so that's, yeah, imagine what it's like to not to be powerful and then say, well, who's not powerful here and how can I harness their ideas? Oh, how can I make them feel comfortable to bring yeah. those ideas forward? Because yeah. that's the way we make businesses grow. Ah, you're so inspiring, Michelle. This is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Um, now, you do a lot of work with senior leaders and have them really think about the kind of professional and the kind of leader that they are. Do you think people do enough of this? I think it depends, Katie. Um, I, I look at many professionals well i look at many senior people and there's there's those who have reached a point in their life and perhaps and i'm slightly autobiographical so they, they've probably reached a point in their life and said well what's got me to here is not going to get me to the next step or to there wherever there there is and they they start to think about what's it going to take what do i need to know i'm going to start investing in myself reading you know, yeah. uh, further education, coaching, you know, whatever it may be. So I think I've, I certainly think there are there are people like that. There are a number of people then in the next category who perhaps <laughs> there's been some kind of intervention and they're forced <laughs> to think about uh, their, their the impact that their leadership has on others. Mm -hmm. And you know that 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 um, you know that catalyst for change could be. You know, I may have got to a certain level in the organisation and been successful based on my technical skills. Um, and over, you know, the years of my tenure, that's been very valued. But of course, you and I both know the more senior, <clears throat> pardon me, the more senior you become, the, typically um, the less uh, single focused you, yes. you have to be. And, and yeah. you have to be multidimensional and do a yeah. whole bunch of different things as a as a senior leader. So those technical skills that served you very, very well at your career start and probably even in the in the midpoint of your career are no longer as important. If you haven't developed those other areas, it's more than likely that there'll be some kind of catalyst for change. And whether it's a you know a three sixty degree survey that indicates you've got some opportunity to look at your leadership, whether it's you you've applied um, and being unsuccessful for roles and the feedback comes back that you yeah, this this is what you need to do more of and less of. Yeah, whatever it may be. So I think there's people who kind of go, oh crumbs. Now I better do something, and then there are those who remain blissfully unaware <laughs> and they don't do anything about it. And they're the ones that I worry about because, you know, there's and perhaps there's the people who are still getting results to a to a degree, but there's this great you know um, parable about you know don't tolerate the brilliant jerk because um, yeah. brilliant jerks just derail organisations and you know the brilliant jerk is probably that that person who is brilliant at sales 
um, and gets the dollars in the door, but leaves us, you know, a, a strew of, of issues behind mm. them. And they've got to have people coming in after them to sweep up after them. But gee, we keep tolerating because they bring the, the, the money in. Yeah. Um, but what we don't realise is the opportunity cost because, of course, all those other people are going, man, I'm, oh, I, I don't want to be around this kind of ad, um, attitude mm. or culture, so I'm off. So, yeah, yeah so I think, yeah, again, long answer to your question, but. There's, I don't, in general, I don't know that there's enough focus, self-focus or self-discipline um, around saying, how do I keep developing to be the best leader of people and organisations that I can be? Um, and if we did have that, we would see less of the headlines, particularly the headlines we've seen in the last couple of weeks about, or the last couple of weeks and months about very big companies in Australia yes. and the behaviours uh, that have been yeah. so universally condemned. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, there's there's been a lot the last couple of weeks on that front in particular. Mm. Mm. Um, Michelle, this sort of this brings me to another area that I'm deeply passionate about, which is um, coaching and working with senior leaders around developing a considered personal brand. And I do quite a bit of speaking at, at conferences and seminars about this. And I always or often ask by asking people with a show of hands who's thought about their personal brand and, you know, we typically get majority of people in the room put up their hand. Then when I ask who has actually documented their thinking, if one or two hands go up, that is quite a positive um, outcome. And, mm. you know, we, we have lots of strategic focus in, in lots of our professional, professional elements of our roles, but it really surprises me that the vast bulk of people don't give any sort of strategic focus to to their own considered personal brand, and I'm I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. Yeah, it's um, certainly something, and I, I work a lot with women uh, around you know, part of the, the work I do around uh, leadership and, and and closing the the leadership gender gap around the world is, is helping women to understand. Um, around strategic networking, connecting their their professional brand, their, their um, yeah, and what that means. And of course, you know, uh, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So, mm -hmm. the first question I ask, probably the same as you, is what do people say about you? Yes. And people say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not there. And I said, well, you actually need to find out because either you are managing your brand or your brand is being managed by something, someone or many other people. Other mm -hmm. people. So um, in terms of my own focus, um, no, not a lot of science. Um, but quite frankly, I, I come out of 15 years at Telstra. I was working in another or in a smaller organisation um, where nobody knew me. Uh, I was responsible or part, you know, in part responsible on the senior management team for growing the organisation, which meant having a lot of, um, you know, productive face time and building trusted relationships with uh, blue chip clients mm -hmm. and I kind of had to figure out really blooming quick that um, how do I how do I create then you know the no trust respect trilogy you know people have got to know you they've got to respect you and they've got to trust you when um, to do business with you so that was probably uh, inherently um, or unconsciously the first time I started working on my brand 
outside of perhaps my narrow leadership aspirations in one company. Mm-hmm. Um, then along came LinkedIn, yes. which we all dutifully signed up for. And I, I signed up and thought, oh, this is really terrific. Because um, at that stage, I did have uh, young people at home and certainly wasn't able to do, you know, three or four nights of networking functions oh. and this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, frankly, who wants to? But um, And, of course, networking is much more than going to an event, uh, as you and I both know. Um, and... I started to to learn about the power of these other ways to strategically network and of course to strategically network and to build those trusting relationships um, and to get business done you have to have a brand so yes. it was for me uh, you know I, I can't say that there was anything other than an awakening to say I need people need to understand who I am and what I stand for and uh, I need to do some work on on find that and it's just kind of grown over time and and certainly I mean just we're now talking oh yeah 12, 13 years yeah. yeah yes yes <laughs> so, um, and, and over that time I've, I've been very I'm curious about um, this this topic I'm curious about the platforms I I think technology is a great enabler um, particularly for women and for time mm-hmm. poor women and um, but underneath all of that is, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted people to be very, very clear um, before, during, and after when they meet me, who I am and what I stand for, so that they can make a decision about whether or not to do business with me in whatever capacity that happens to be. So that means I've got to be deliberate and intentional about my brand at all yeah. times. Um, and you know, that that's that kind of that's a very high level recipe or I guess it's it's my mindset around it it is important and I think it's you know people say yeah but you're you've got you're an entrepreneur you've got your own businesses and I said I was doing this before I left the corporate world I was I didn't want to be known for Michelle that worked at the National Australia Bank worked at Serco worked at Telstra worked at blah blah I wanted to be known as Michelle Redfern the person who is xyz um, independent of who happened to be paying my wages Mm -hmm. at the time but certainly with, with the intent that that was part of the value proposition um, and part of my contribution to the organisation that was paying my, um, my, uh, yeah. my wages. Absolutely. Mm. Well, and the more senior you get, I think, the more responsibility or the more the, there is a reasonable expectation that you are helping, you are contributing to that brand of who your employer is by, you know, doing some some good stuff on that that most personal branding and leadership and thought thought leadership front yeah and you know i think you know what we we know i know one of the mindset shifts for for leadership and and what what i talk to women about um often is shifting from believing the company owes you a living to your contribution to making the company Mm. grow that is a significant identity shift as a leader Um, and part of that as you said part of helping the, the company grow um, is to ensure that you are an, a, an appropriate brand ambassador. And that doesn't mean slavishly following the company's brand. It means having your own brand that has yeah. an alignment and yeah. you know, values alignment, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's important, absolutely. Oh, it's really important. And going back to one of the earlier points you made, I think particularly for women can be really impactful um, because, and again, I'm delving into stereotypes here, um, 
you know, the the propensity of males to perhaps use the, um, you know, the BS factor in person. You can't do that on social media because you, there's a record and you get you get caught out. So I think that that can that's what one of the numerous elements that can really level the playing field. Yeah, in our favour. I think you know. I love the Oscar Wilde quote, be yourself because everyone else has taken it, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. particularly Australians, but I think, you know, this is, I don't think Australia can really lay claim to this, you know, most humans have got pretty good BS detectors and, mm. you know, we, we can kind of, most of us can figure out a faker at some point or the other, but when people find, I know, I find it very hard to resist someone who is energetic and passionate and clear about what they care about. Yes. Um, and, and you know that 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 is authenticity. I know authenticity is a very overused word, but mm. you know, keep it real. Um, be yourself, and but but be very very clear um, with people. You know that it's what you stand for, what you don't do, what you do do. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's it requires deliberate and intentional focus, and that doesn't mean lots and lots and lots of time. It means being clear about who you are and what you yes. stand for. Yeah, yeah, and considered in your approach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Michelle, you focus on a whole new paradigm with clients examining how to be thoughtful and creating high performing teams. And um, I'd love to hear more about the work you do on that front. Yeah, so my, um, so what I stand for um, is uh, a gender equal world. And that is that is my, my life's work, my life's purpose. So everything that I do with my clients um, is around that. Um, and of course, um, what I am also is a businesswoman and also always have been, um, well, since well, I've been in business since I was 15 years old in some <laughs> capacity or another. Um, what has characterised the leadership roles and the organisations that I've worked for, divisions that I've run, teams that I've run, um, is high performance. And... I am very, very proud of the fact that I can bring teams together, whether I inherit them, whether I handpick them, or whether it's a combination of both, and galvanise people towards action um, and outcomes that are in line with what the company needs. But I also have a very strong, um, well, a very strong social justice streak in me. Um, not that I would have put those words to it even probably 15 or 20 years ago, but sure. very strong need to have people feel included and valued and respected. And when people feel included, valued and respected and like they belong, and they're very clear about what they're here to do um, and what we're here to do together, when you've got clear roles and responsibilities, that's when you've got a, a recipe for high performance businesses and high performance teams. And for me, um, Diversity, there's a great saying, diversity is being invited to the dance. Um, inclusion is being asked to dance and belonging is, is dancing like no one's watching. <laughs> and for me, that's just, a, it's a lovely way to describe. We, we have workplaces that are already very diverse at, at some level or another. Um, but how included are the people in that workplace and how much do they feel like they belong? Because when you've got the, the three, uh, the three-part formula right, um, that's when you're getting high-performance teams. So gender diversity, cultural diversity, 
ability and disability diversity. Those are that is the first part. So looking at at um, you know um, attracting and retaining and advancing all all levels of diverse people into your organisation um, is key. Those people have got to feel like they are included. They've got to feel like they belong so that they can can contribute. So that's that's my recipe and that's the conversations that I have whilst I. Now, we do love labels and boxes. So when people say, what do you do? I say gender equality consultant. But <clears throat> it's it's just so much more comp, um, complex, but it, at the same time, so much more simple than um, than, than that um, implies. Gender is just the first, just the first yeah. one. Too. Yes. Um, yeah. That, that's a really, I really like the way that you phrased that, though, about the, that it's not just attracting the a diverse workforce or group of people but that it's that they are included and that they are advanced I mean that that's that's the more fulsome part of that picture isn't it not just the we recruit them yeah well as a leader you want I would hope that that all leaders at all levels in organizations would want all people to reach their full potential. Now, you know, my full potential is different from yours, and, and yes. as it well should be. So, yeah. you know, that's why I get very, uh, I'm very careful about saying you've got to climb the career ladder, this, that, and the other. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I want women in particular to work out what is what is my full potential and how do I reach it. Um, I want organisations to work out what are the barriers that are standing in the way of all women reaching their full potential and how do I remove them because mm -hmm. that's my job as a leader. Yep. My yes. job is to enable the people in this organisation to reach their full potential because when that happens that's when the magic happens and you've got growing, mm -hmm. thriving, flourishing businesses that are sustainable. Mm, absolutely. We could we could certainly record a whole podcast just around that topic, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, well, I always say to people, so what's it like to be in a growing business? It's fun, it's exciting. What's it like to be in a shrinking business? Not fun, not exciting. No. So, you know, <laughs> be be really clear. Um, oh. there's, that's the kind of business you want to be a part of, a growing, thriving, flourishing business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Michelle, you talk a lot about diversity and and influence, and I'm interested to understand how those these conversations have evolved during this last crazy six months um, of this COVID world that we are living in. Mm. The conversations have, even to put it into context, when I first started doing this work uh, under my own steam, uh, four or five years ago, I was still doing, or, or uh, there was a lot of business casing still being done. Mm -hmm. Then let's do the business case for getting a, a gender equity strategy up and running. I'm doing, in fact, I can't remember the last time I had to do a business case. So that 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 has shifted because the, in general, the business case is proven. In fact, it's been yes. proven so many times. It's, yeah. You know, it's actually beyond beyond laughable. Uh huh. What mm -hmm. I what I've seen though in the last six months uh, is an awakening to the barriers that uh, typically women um, and other minority groups experience with regard to full participation in the workforce or in the workplace. So, mm. for example, um, organisations that have resisted flexible 
and remote working yes um, clearly have had to very rapidly adopt um, now I won't say embrace because I think some of them are still resisting but they've had to adopt yes. uh, those practices simply because there, there was no other choice mm -hmm. but what that has done has proved has has proved that gee whiz we can we can still do some stuff now I don't think everything's going terrifically uh, in that regard because I think well I know I have lots of conversations online and offline uh, with with people who in particular have caring responsibilities so mm -hmm. um, you know women who have got either as I said children um, or elder care um, or other other caring responsibilities who are now managing work around care and care around work um, and the boundaries have become very very blurred because we haven't had necessarily in all workplaces leaders with skills to manage um, oh. yeah, remote and flexible working um, but in saying that I think that that is one of the major developments from my perspective if I just want to be really really um, put a very narrow focus on it one of the major developments has been the removal of that barrier and what I'm very much hoping and I have active conversations in in play is let's not hurtle back to the way we used to do things yeah. be really careful and thoughtful about what does the new normal look like for all three parties in, in any kind of remote and flexible working um, arrangement and the three parties are the, the, the worker, the manager and the organisation mm -hmm. and how do we become very, very thoughtful and intentional about that. The other thing that I've seen is um, not not as positive but we, we've seen lots of, um, well clearly I've seen um, read enough about the double, double, double shift that, that carers um, and of course as I said earlier in the, in the oh. chat 75% of unpaid work is still being done by women around the world. So I can say you know, women are disproportionately uh, responsible for the other stuff that has to happen to make households run. Yes. And with that blurring of the boundaries between work and home, uh, there are definitely some, uh, I think there are some casualties. And then of course, uh, there's been such a significant economic impact for women over the last six months, and mm. um, you know that that is again it's it's a it's a reasonably complex area. But to simplify it without being patronising, uh, we know that uh, there have been uh, women are more likely um, to have been laid off, stood down, uh, made redundant um, in in this time. Um, women have more, are more likely to be in the highly casualised um, yes. industries yeah. and, and workforces therefore have been impacted by stand-down, so hospitality, retail uh, and of course um, in terms of, of the healthcare teaching, you know, those frontline yes. workers who have been at the, at the real forefront um, of the pandemic and managing very, very sick and vulnerable people disproportionately represented by women. So that's a pretty mixed bag that I've given you there, Katie. But, <laughs> um, but again, if we go back to leadership around uh, and diversity, inclusion, what I really want leaders to do is, is to stop and reflect on all of the different 
elements that have occurred in the last six months. We've never seen this before. I, I do hope that we won't ever see it again um, in anyone's lifetime. But mm. this is a major turning point in, in for humanity and society. And how do we learn from it? And how do we do things better than we've ever done before? So again, all humans can reach their, their full potential. Um, I know that's pretty lofty, um, but we've just got to stop and think, really stop and think. Mm. Well, I mean, damn it, this is surely the opportunity to do that, isn't it? I I hope so. And, you know, we've seen some terrific examples of of leadership and some not-so-terrific examples. And I, you know, leadership is, is... it's one of those words bandied around a lot and um but for every person who considers themselves a leader i would just like to ask them to to reflect on what impact are your are your actions your behaviors and your decisions mm-hmm. having on the people that you're responsible for and those people you are responsible for helping them reach their full potential so that if nothing else is what i'd, I'd ask leaders to do right now some good questions there or good good prompts there Michelle I would like to turn to a few positive questions because we're t- we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff um, mm. and I would you recently ran a group looking at yin and yang of career success which sounds really interesting tell me more yeah, so one of the women in, in my Women Who Get It network, uh, Jo Stone, uh, does um, some work around, uh, I guess, um, bucking the norm or, or challenging gender stereotypes. And in her world, she's the breadwinner in, in her home and her male partner is the stay-at-home uh, parent, uh, caregiver, etc. So... We we were talking about um, you know the things the work that she does with women who are, particularly women who are breadwinners um, or women who are um, you know earning a wage and what they might need to do well in fact what they need to stop potentially doing um, in in their home life and then of course I work with women as, you know, I, I fix the systems I hold women back but I also help women navigate the systems of their workplaces. So we worked out that she kind of talked about home. I talked about the workplace and that was the yin and the yang of, of a woman's life. So yeah. we, we talked about what's, what is the yin and yang of, of, for, for career success. So she talked about the enablers and the derailers in, in the home. Uh, and I talked about the enablers and the derailers, particularly the, uh, the missing 33% uh, business strategic and financial acumen um, that, that can be yeah, the enabler or the derailer for women's careers. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I'm, I, we've had, uh, particularly at the start of the first of, of the pandemic, um, like a lot of other people, I, I had a little bit more time on my hands than, than I <laughs> yes. have. Um, and I had this, this, you know, a couple of really terrific networks of, of women that I thought, well, how can I be in service to them? And how c- perhaps could I be contributing to them during this time and, and that this was just a concept that we came up with to, to offer um, this opportunity for women to hear some some wisdom, some advice um, and, and some practical tools to, to help them uh, you know, examine, evaluate uh, and, you know, and when they're ready to take action around their career. 
Mm, that sounds awesome, Michelle. Some of the coaching that you do centres around a career that soars, and, and I love that concept. What does that look like? Yeah, so I, um, I, I lost the capacity to, to do one-on-one -on -one coaching quite some time ago. And, and look, my, my unashamed focus is on system-wide work, um, so gender equality, um, strategy advisory, and that kind of stuff. But, but my, um, you know, I just, I can't leave women behind. You know, I want to be able to share the wisdom yeah. that I've gathered over the over my 55 years on the earth, um, the systems um, that I've learned, the processes that I've learned. And I've got an awesome business partner called Susan Colantuno. Well, she's my friend and my business partner and, and frankly, a mentor to me as well. And Susan came to me, we're both very fierce feminists. We both had a lifetime of, of agitating and activating and advocating for women and gender equality. And she, she came to me about 18 or 12 or 18 months ago and she said, I'm not ready to retire. I've got this idea and I'm going to set up a platform, a global platform so that we can still coach women, but do it in a, at scale mm -hmm. um, so that we can give women, particularly women who aren't in corporate environments that invest in, in women's leadership development programs. So I do a lot of women's leadership development programs for you know, big and medium-sized organisations. And, mm -hmm. But there are many women who work for organisations who, well, they can't, they don't get access to those training programs or those experiences, um, or it's simply out of reach yes. uh, for the organisation. And we wanted to be, well, it's the no woman left behind mantra. Yeah, so okay. we formed... Um, our alliance and we have our platform called A Career That Soars and it really is from for women from career start right through to board um, to say, you know, we are here as a community, a global community of women leaders um, with a whole range of networking, experiences, courses, coaching, mentoring, etc. in in one, you know, basically a one-stop shop. So um, it's satisfies many, many, many needs in, in both Susan and I, um, but in particular, it's, it's about giving women a really safe space, particularly ambitious women who aspire to reach their full potential, gives them a space to do that, um, a really safe space to do that. Yeah. So that's what it's all about. Wow, that sounds fantastic, Michelle. Well, so, I think it is, but I'm a bit biased. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've, you've hooked me. It's, it sounds incredibly <laughs> inspiring, incredibly. Now, building on that, what could shining look like during this bizarre COVID time? Because I've been grappling with this. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I think every person but every every woman needs to determine what that looks like for her and yeah. you know shining for some for some of us it's I, I got up today and I got through the day mm -hmm. and, oh, and I'm okay yeah. with that and, yeah. and I'm actually and going to be really really kind to myself mm -hmm. and I, I, I heard a lovely expression last week um, with one of my clients and it was we should we should be as kind to ourselves when we're learning new skills and new behaviours as we would be as someone else who was that we could see learning new skills or behaviours, whether it's a child, whether it's a relative, whether it's someone in our teams, we wouldn't be critical if someone was trying something out new. So why are we so critical of ourselves? 
people are learning, women are learning new skills. They're learning to do things differently and in new ways over the course of this pandemic. You know, some of them are learning to, um, well, they're being forced to learn how to, how do I run my business, my life, my household, literally yeah. from a lounge room, all in yeah. one spot. You know, I've had yes. my, all of my worlds have just converged. Mm-hmm. So for them to shine is quite frankly to to get through to the end of the day and perhaps perhaps be able to carve out even if it's ten minutes of I can just stop and be with myself and my own thoughts. Yeah. Um, for others, it's been an opportunity with some downtime to to reflect on their career accomplishments to date and what's next for them and start planning. Um, for others, it's about contributing to those who perhaps aren't doing as well as themselves. So again, I'm giving you a bit of a non-answer because it's just so different for every single person. But I I just think, you know, that there's just so many people who are, who aren't kind enough to themselves so for me to shine would be what would it what would it take for you to be kind to yourself for 10 minutes today Mm. that's shining well and there are a couple of things that particularly come to mind when I'm listening to you answer that question the first one is a great quote that I read a few months ago from Brené Brown talking about that voice inside your head and that it's it's so much harsher than the way you would ever dream of speaking to somebody else. So I'm finding that's quite useful to keep in mind. You know, I would never say all these things that are going through my head that I'm in terms of how I'm judging myself. Like that 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 for me was 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 incredibly helpful and that you know the second thing that just I'm feeling really strongly as you're saying that is that the the term roller coaster is being bandied about a hell of a lot in terms of this yep. COVID world but it's it just I can't come up with a better way to describe it you know and those different options or different um realities as to what uh you know shining could look like at the moment I feel like they were all relevant for me. I I have a son who is really anxious at the moment and is, you know, he's nine, but he's gone back to waking up four or five times a night due to really severe anxiety. So it's like having a newborn again. And I woke yeah. up Monday morning and I'd had hardly any sleep for three nights and I just... <laughs> I, I sat in the bath and I struggled not to cry. I just I just felt mm. appalling. And so I ended up taking a mental health day and I did very little Good and I got through and, you know, yeah. I didn't scream at, well, I didn't scream much at the children. I got through the day. Tuesday, Wednesday, mm. Thursday this week have been superb. You know, I, I yeah. slept well, I've gotten out and run and they've just, they've I've done some proactive stuff and... I mean, just being kind to yourself, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate enough to still be working, um, but it's mm. just still such an almighty roller coaster. Oh, it, 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 I agree. I, I would struggle to find a, a better superlative than, than mm. that one. And, yes. and the other thing, I, I <clears throat> you and I both share a premier, um, Daniel Andrews, and, <laughs> and I can remember him saying a number of times, um, Guys, there is no handbook for, for managing yeah. a global pandemic like this. We've yeah. never done this before. And I would say that to everyone else, there is no handbook. And and the other thing I'd say, please don't compare yourself to anyone else. So, yeah. And, yeah. and look, I, I, I'm very good at dishing out the medicine. I'm not as good at, <laughs> as taking my own medicine from time to time. So I've had the roller coaster too. So people might think I've got my act together and... Uh. 
what have you. But I, I can tell you, I have the days when I just want to stay in bed, Paul, the doona over my head um, yeah. and think, oh, I just can't do this today. I have days when I'm extremely anxious, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I feel for your, your poor son because anxiety is such a tough thing to deal yeah. with and it's, it's so absolutely unpredictable and insidious. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I think the, the roller coaster is right. And just when you think, you beauty, here we go. And, of course, in in Victoria, we're all counting down to that, you know, those last few days. And, of course, now the rumours are it's going to be extended. Mm-hmm. And I just know that that's going to it'll feel for some people. They go, that'll finish me. And, of course, it won't. Yeah. But, um, you know, being... being I guess recognising, as you well did, uh, or did really well, I should say, today is not a good day for me, and I, I'm okay with that, and I'm going to do what I need to do to, to work it out, be kind to myself, and then I'll, I'll bounce back. So, you know, mm. I think there's something about, you know, resilience is just is not about just keeping on keeping on resilience. You've got to recover. And, and give yourself yeah. some recovery. You know, like I don't run marathons, God, but for, for those people who run marathons, you don't do two marathons within two weeks. Um, you know, you've no. got to actually recover, rejuvenate, and then you build your resilience. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that, you know, giving ourselves some recovery and some, and some rejuvenation time because it is, yeah. it is a roller coaster. I agree. Oh, it, it is. The other thing that I'm trying really hard to do is to have honest conversations I mean not be the negative Nancy that at times I feel that I can very easily slip into but you know Mm. I sent my colleagues an email on Monday morning and said I'm having a mental health day I Mm. just Mm. need a day and I reckon 12 months ago if I'd been in that situation I probably would have said oh I'm not feeling well or I'm I'm unwell and left it there but I just I also feel that by having honest conversations, even if it's just at that very high level I'm having a mental health day, it helps people, other people understand that this is just a really crappy time and that sometimes we just all need to step off. And I I kind of feel like I have a responsibility or I'd like to just even in a really minor way contribute to other people thinking, oh, well, okay, she's talking like that. Yes. Exactly, yeah. and and that it's and, well. I, I don't like the term normal, but you know that it's really common. Oh well, I think we do need to normalise um, the, yeah. the discussion around mental health, and and it's interesting because you know what I was going to say, and I got myself off track was when we compare ourselves to other people, and you know, so many of us, and I include me in that. So many of us portray to the world what we think the world wants to see, mm. and you know, there's this superficiality and. I like what you said, Katie, that I, you know, in effect, I'm paraphrasing, if I role model these behaviours, you know, I'm being the change that I want to see. So you're saying to people, I am not having a good day. I will not be productive or useful and I'm probably, um, you know, and I recognise that so I'm having a mental health day. And removing the stigma around having that conversation and, and, you know, people talk a lot about vulnerability. Vulnerability is not letting everything hang out to dry. You know, Brene Brown, you, you and I yeah. both think she's amazing. You know, yeah. she's, she says, you know, this is a, you've got to have boundaries, but, you know, don't armour up around this stuff. Say yeah. to people, I'm not having a good day. Um, it's not going to be great to be around me. Um, I'm going to check out, uh, yeah. but I'll be back because this yeah. is what I need to do to come back, you know, with all, with all uh, pistons firing. 
Absolutely. Michelle, I'd love to keep talking, but we have recorded a very long podcast, so I think we are well out of time. I have You'll loved have to this do some judicious editing. Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I, I think I'm going to struggle to cut anything out. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been so thought-provoking and you've been really generous with some of your insights. Thank you so much. That's my pleasure, Katie, and really appreciate your uh, action for amplifying the voices of other people through your podcast. So good on you. Oh, thank you. I've been Katie Bennett-Stenton. Thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett-Stenton on LinkedIn.